You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him, you love him, as your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, I got a little egg on my face today, dude. Just three days ago, I'm talking Andreas Knapp up like he's the next greatest swing tackle in Broncos history and they cut my dude. They waved him on uh, on Monday. They did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you put a jinx on him, Chad. So uh, the, to the Knapp family, it's all Chad Jensen's fault he's released. But no, even I said on the pod, he wasn't long for Denver. He was always a developmental guy. Um, he was very raw. And, and even Mike Munch, I can't salvage everyone. So they need those roster spots. We don't know the context, Chad, of why he was released, if he's hurt or not. But yeah, he's no longer with the Broncos as of today. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was if he was waived because of with some kind of injury settlement to go along with it because of what happened last summer he didn't even make it to preseason action if I can recall I'm pretty sure his his whole season ended in uh, in July in training camp so happy trails yeah. to the nap guy you know what the Broncos that I mean it just highlights their need even more though Zach that right now as it stands I mean if the Broncos had to go play football tomorrow play a game you got Garrett Bowles left tackle. You've got Juwan James right tackle. Who's your swing? Is it Elijah Wilkinson? Are you having to rely on Elijah Wilkinson to be that swing guy? I think at this point, that's probably what they'd have to do, which means you can bet they're going to be drafting an offensive tackle. But it's like that mock that I published on Monday. Zach, I did my final seven-round mock, and just as promised, this one did not have the Broncos taking a quarterback at pick 10. I had the Broncos taking Dalton Reisner at pick 41 in the second round. And as I said in that mock, one of the collateral benefits of getting a guy like Dalton Reisner is you could – my vision for him would be inside. I think he's he projects better as an interior yeah. player. So put him at right guard. And if something happens and one of the tackles goes down, he's your swing guy that steps in and plays tackle as well. Yeah, I, they, they have to come away with at least two linemen in this draft, Chad. An interior lineman and a tackle. As you said, right now, there's no reserve guy. And it feels like there's never been a reserve guy at tackle. It, Wilkinson would be that guy, but then you take away depth at guard. They can't keep rotating these players. Um, Knapp wasn't ever going to be that main swing. They were always going to get the guy in the draft. But now that need is, is heightened more. And it wouldn't surprise me. I know it's a long shot, but offensive tackle in round one. Let's assume the Broncos stay put or trade down. Jonah Williams, to me, from Alabama. I know Elway is adverse to drafting them, but that would be a sneaky pick for them. Maybe not to start right away, but to give them some um, insurance yeah. to hedge their bet a little bit against Garrett Bowles, his progression, or even Juwan James' struggle with penalties or injuries or whatever. They need that depth. They need that that successor in place. They can't keep signing guys off the scrap heap to fill in on the right tackle. So, OT in round one is a dark horse to me, but it's obvious within the first four or five rounds they have to have at least two linemen in their hall. I've seen some mocks, and these are big boards and usually mockers that I trust. I've seen a few mocks lately with Jonah Williams slipping into the second round. Now, I don't expect that to happen, but if he were there at pick 41, and let's say it comes down to him or Dalton Reisner, to me Mm. that would be a really tough decision. It'd probably, probably end up going with Williams, although... 
I don't know. I, that's something I'd have to ruminate on. But, you know, tonight we were going to do a seven-round mock draft in preparation for the war room. But I've had some things come up on my end where we got to keep this episode a little bit shorter. We don't have time to fully let our hair down and go through a whole seven-round mock. So we're going to, of course, tackle that in the War Room Roundtable. On Wednesday night, we're recording it for your listening pleasure Thursday. It's going to be Zach and myself, of course, along with Nick and Carl of Building the Broncos, and then we're going to have Eric Trickle on, of course. We're going to go through the five of us, a seven-round mock draft. We're going to try to come to consensus, just like the two-man mock that Zach and I did last week. It's going to be a five-man mock, a War Room. And last year, was it was a popping episode. I think it was our most downloaded episode of, of 2018. So it figures to be quite exciting. We're, we're excited. It's, I think you guys will enjoy listening to that. But that doesn't mean we don't have plenty to talk about today. In fact, Zach, you wrote about a few different things that came out on Monday, a few different storylines and tropes that we're going to tackle. But first, just a couple of quick matters of business. As always, guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter. Really easy to do. Open up the app on your phone, go to twitter.com on your browser, find at huddleuppod, click the follow button. That is the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show at all times. And then again, you guys have been doing a phenomenal job getting the ratings going on iTunes. We're up to 138. I checked earlier today. You guys have been bringing the thunder with regard to our calls to action. And if you haven't taken time, if you're not amongst that 138 who have left a, a creative review and rated the show, Just take some time on iTunes to get that done. And there's even some of you out there who are listening to the show that don't use iTunes or not Apple users who have actually gone in and downloaded iTunes just so that they could help us out and leave that creative review and give us that five-star rating on iTunes. So if you haven't done that, take some time. You have no idea how much that helps us grow and reach new listeners and compete in the arena of Broncos podcasts on iTunes. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Zach, so let's dive into this issue with Chris Harris. Now, 
Of course, he's been holding out. I wouldn't necessarily call it a holdout yet because everything he's missed so far or chosen to absent himself from has all been voluntary, including this week. But uh, that continues with the minicamp. He is not going to show up. Now, you talked about, or excuse me, you reported on something that came from Mike Kliss earlier Monday. And here's, here's what Chris Harris said with regard to what's going on right now. He said, quote, I'm ready. This is easily going to be my best year this year. These next three years, I'm about to go crazy. If they want me to be here, I'll go crazy these next three years. I'll guarantee it, close quote. Of course, that comes via Mike Kliss. Now, Zach, I don't know why he's got this three-year window kind of in mind. I was just thinking that, yeah. It's kind of curious to me, yeah. but I mean, I think he's telegraphing to the team that he wants to be, he, he wants to remain in Denver, but he wants the team to show him some love, you know, and, and recognize him financially for his contributions to the team. And it's not like he's just some guy that used to be good. Zach, we're talking about still one of the best cornerbacks in the league. He, he's still a pro bowler and he's still an all pro talent. The, the three year thing, I don't know if he's signaling that that's his prime. That's all he's going to have left in the NFL or if he considers that a multi-year contract with Denver. And that just sounds better than two years. I would lock him up right now. I've been saying it for every day for the past, you know, three, four months. Sign Chris Harris Jr. I'm opposed to the Broncos waiting. I don't understand what they gain by jerking him around and letting him wait till after the draft. I mean, you can talk about money. You can talk about personal preference. He doesn't seem happy about it, but I like the confidence um, that he's showing in himself, that he's going to be ready. He's keeping up in shape. I mean, these these practices shatter voluntary. He could easily be sitting on his behind eating potato chips. I mean, he's in, in shape with his personal trainer. He's ready to go. It's the same thing Von Miller said. It's the same thing Derek Wolf said. It's the same thing Champ Bailey said. They all support him for a reason. They all believe he should get his just due. There's not one person who believes otherwise. Not one. If we count the $7.8 million base salary that Harris is scheduled to earn in 2019 on top of the $11 million just going by annual average, Kareem Jackson's going to make and Bryce Callahan $7 million. I mean, the Broncos are getting up there already with how much money they have invested in the cornerback position. I understand why this is... I can understand in one sense why they're dragging their heels a little bit. But at the same time, this has to be really a no-brainer. Like, I understand getting your ducks in a row, figuring out financially how you're going to make this work while you're trying to, you know, not only protect the team and and try and make it as team-friendly as possible, but also satisfy what the player's demand might be and what the player wants. I you got to really be deliberate. I understand that. But at this point, Zach, the Denver Broncos without Chris Harris. I mean, I like Kareem Jackson. Everyone knows he's one of the guys that I was high on going into free agency. Bryce Callahan, a great up-and-coming nickel corner. But without Chris Harris, this goes from a arguably best cornerback trio in the NFL to a solid group. The Broncos need to get him locked down. I don't necessarily agree with the Broncos dragging their feet. They made a conscious decision not to not to give him a new contract. They made a conscious decision to go out and add three cornerbacks this offseason, Chad. Three. Handing $50 million to two of them and then signing one of the AAF's premier players, the interceptions leader. And two of those guys are slot corners. If that doesn't send a message to Chris Harris Jr., nothing will. He's playing hardball. And the longer this goes on and the more um, apathy they're showing toward Chris Harris Jr., who's going to go down as one of the best undrafted free agents ever, it, it really leads me to believe that he won't be long for Denver. I mean, I just it, – it's either come in for your last season or we'll trade you away. I, I, I'm, I fully support the Broncos keeping him. They have no reason not to keep him. Like you said, this secondary is a shell without him. 
I don't really trust Kareem Jackson and Bryce Callahan just yet. We know what we have in Chris Harris Jr., but I don't think Elway agrees with the valuation. He didn't agree with Matt Paradis. Um, he doesn't agree with his other people's perceptions. If he thinks he has a number on a player and they don't meet that number, it's his way, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm not quite to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm going to be too panicky about this situation just because only – we talked about this a couple episodes back, but just looking at the history that Elway has with players, re-signing them, getting them extended, with the exception of Harris's original extension and Derek Wolf, most of these re-signings from Darian Stewart to Brandon Marshall to Vaughn Miller, I mean, they and even Demarius Thomas, and even Ryan Clady, now that I think about it, they take place at the 11th hour, basically, on the doorstep of the season. And you know what? That's probably what's going to happen with regard to Chris Harris. So... The question the Broncos have to ask themselves at this point is if they know they're going to extend him, let's just say they already know they're just waiting like Elway says. Elway said at the, at, at the Combine, or excuse me, when Joe Flacco was introduced, he said, look, we're going to get through the draft, see where we are, see where we're at budget-wise, et cetera, et cetera. Well, even if that's the case, do they? is it really worth risking the upsetting of the apple cart, right? Because here you have a new defensive mind coming in and Vic Fangio – Ideally, Zach, you want all your best players on site, assimilating, you know, getting their juices flowing with the new coaching staff. Right. If you're planning on extending this guy and Elway's thinking, well, you know, we can always get it done later in the summer or we'll wait till after the draft. And I mean, after the draft to me means summer. It means literally probably sometime in July. And if that's the case, though, I mean, right? who knows how serious Harris is? Right now, this is all voluntary stuff he's skipping. But is it worth pressuring, you know, it's a, it's like a Mexican standoff. Is it worth pressuring Chris Harris to the point where now he's under public scrutiny and he starts holding out and, and skipping mandatory mini camps in which, you know, it really starts to ignite into something that is unfortunate for the team? The way this is going, I can definitely see him skipping out, and that's assuming the Broncos don't trade him during the draft. I just don't see what they're gaining by waiting until after. They're still going to have the same amount of money, Chad. They're still going to vote the same amount of money to the rookie class, is it because they're waiting to draft a quarter in the first or second round? Maybe are they waiting for a trade package to come through involving Chris Harris Jr.? That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, other than that, though, he's going to get paid what he's going to get paid. Uh, he has a, a number of baseline that goes with negotiations in the NFL. I just don't see. And the apple cart to me, Chad, is already upset. I mean, he already sent a, a bad message to the locker room and the players that we're not going to pay one of the best talents in the entire NFL. Over what? A measly artificial deadline that Elway set because he wants to be in charge? I just, I don't understand it. Sometimes, you know, you talk about things happening in the 11th hour, but he had such contentious talks with Von Miller. I mean, that's a Hall of Fame player. To the point where that Miller was scrubbing him out of social media pictures. We don't want that again. The Broncos are just getting to a good place now with their culture. And now they go and upset the apple card with one of their best players. It's just, it's always something. It's definitely in Denver's best interest to get him locked down sooner rather than later. I just don't think it's the end of the world if it ends up being in July. But then then that's where I come back, though, to the point is, but is it worth him missing those OTAs? Because you you know he's probably going to hold out even from the mandatory stuff. So that those are the questions that the Broncos are going to have to ask themselves, and you're right. I mean, they should know already within a pretty close range of dollars what they're going to be on the hook for in the draft. Unless they have plans of trading back from the sec- or trading up from the second round into the first round and suddenly being on the hook for two first-round contracts or something like I mean, unless that's really something they're considering doing or keeping as an open option, which is possible, 
they pretty much know what they're going to be on the hook for mm-hmm. as it relates to the salary cap with this incoming draft class. So we'll see how it shakes out. Now, Zach, another story I want to talk about you wrote about on Monday is the Chris Mortensen report. Uh, well, I guess it's a report, your report, on Chris, what Chris Mortensen had to say about Mike Munchak leaving the Steelers. He said, quote, now this, I believe, was on an appearance on Orange and Blue 760 last week. Good find, by the way, Zach. Um, Appreciate it. But Mortensen sh- which appeared on the 760, and he said, quote, the hiring of Mike Munchak was one of the biggest offseason acquisitions of this NFL period. Go talk to the Steelers. They're still crying tears over that one, close <laughs> quote. Now, it has been, you want to talk about a tumultuous offseason, it's been really gnarly for the Pittsburgh Steelers because not only all the Antonio Brown stuff and then losing Le'Veon Bell and then the post-Brown trade with the drama that's going on between him and Juju Smith-Schuster, but they lost Mike Munchak. And we know that that was like the one thing Ben Roethlisberger was even talking about that in the media before that coaching cycle, uh, hiring cycle in January. He didn't want Mike Munchak to leave, and it's obvious to see why, Zach, because I mean, he elevates he, – he takes guys who are, let's just say, good players, elevates them to Pro Bowl, all pro caliber. He's taken, like, the left tackle – I'm going to screw up his name – Alejandro Villanueva, I think his name mm-hmm. is. He was undrafted, former Army Ranger, undrafted, scrappy, tough dude, turned him into a perennial Pro Bowler at left tackle, protecting Ben Roethlisberger's blindside. So I can understand why Big Ben might be crying those tears, but – I, you know, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, how big of a coup it was for the Broncos to get Mike Munchak. But let's not kid ourselves, Zach. If his daughter didn't live in Denver and his grandkids weren't in Denver and Mrs. Munchak didn't want to be close to his, her grandbabies, he's probably still in Pittsburgh. I mean, his contract did expire, Chad, and Pittsburgh didn't make him an offer quick enough. So it played out the same way that Will, Wade Phillips played out with the Broncos in 2017. And separate from Brown and Bell, he's just a hell of a coach. Uh, he he made that offense go in Pittsburgh. He came in and really helped that O-line, helped Big Ben out with his protection issues, helped the running game. Um, he makes everyone better around him. And I just love hearing the fact that one of the best teams in the AFC are literally crying or maybe figuratively crying over the Broncos dating one of the best coaches in the NFL. I said it at the time in January. I'll say it again. It was one of the best hires, not just in Broncos history, but in recent NFL history. Yeah, and this was Munchak during his introductory press conference in January. He said, quote, my contract was up as an offensive line coach with the Steelers. The timing in this business, timing is such a big part of being available when a job is available. Obviously, after I was moving forward, I was doing my contract with the Steelers, and this opportunity came up a couple of days later. Close quote. So I'm going to set that aside for a second. So sounds like he was considering his options when all of a sudden John Elway called him about the head coaching job, right? And he was like, hey, uh, we want to interview you for a potential head coaching job. And that brought him into the to Elway's orbit. And then even though the job went to Fangio, it was, hey, you've been here, you're at the facility, your, your daughter's here, your grandkids are here. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it just make sense, you know? And it just worked out. Plus, they probably gave him a couple more million dollars a year than the Steelers were offering and uh, a good position there. And we don't know for sure that Munchak wanted to be a head coach again, Chad. I mean, he kind of failed there in Tennessee. And he, like you said, he's coming to Denver where there's already familiarity with his family. He met Elway. He's working under the guy. It's kind of un- unconventional. He lost out to the guy in Fangio. Now he's going to work under him. Um, but it's it's yeah. there's no doubt getting him as OL coach was a fantastic hire. An absolute coup. And I'm really looking forward to how this might benefit young guys, especially like Garrett Bowles, who, you know, he's on the brink. Garrett Bowles is a player that 
you know, he, he started off last season basically the same as, as his rookie year, just holding and lacks of discipline, technique going out the window. But as the season wore on, he really steadied and began to show signs of what the Broncos envisioned when they spent the 20th pick in the first round on him in 2017. So he's on that brink, though, because even if the Broncos played today, it's like you don't know what version of Garrett Bowles you're going to get. Is he going to be that athletic, mean, road grader who's who can contend when he's when he's in the zone and he's playing with discipline that can hold off the speed rushers of the NFL or is he going to be one of those guys again who gets in the wrong mood and all of a sudden everything starts slipping and it's two or three holding calls or whatever at the most inopportune times which just kill your team that's what we that's the issue right now is you just don't know what you're going to get from Garrett Bowles on a game-to-game basis and I'm really looking forward to what Mike Munchak might be able to do to influence him to get him back up to or to get him to a level of consistency where those are no longer issues or concerns. Yeah, it's just technique. And when Bowles is good, he's he's really pretty good. And when he's bad, he's pretty god-awful. And if Mike Munchak can't salvage you, Chad, then you're a pretty lost cause. So the Broncos should know this year whether Bowles was a first-round bust or whether they have something in him going forward. Yeah, my biggest concern with Bowles continues and will always be just his football IQ. And offensive line, I think people look at that and they go, you know, what's there to know, right? You're just block the guy in front of you, basically. But there's a lot to the game, especially for offensive linemen from, you know, blocking assignments, uh, pre-snap calls, and just understanding plays and every the way it all takes shape for offensive linemen, you got to be pretty smart dudes. And even if you're not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know, you really got to dedicate yourself and be a professional. And I'm not sure Bulls up to this point has dedicated himself in that kind of sense that you would want to see as a pro in terms of saying, look, you know, he's doing the work on the field, et cetera, but is he doing the work in the classroom? Is he converting what he's being taught on the field and taking it to heart so that it comes out in the wash when he's on the field? I've heard this is just things I've been told, but like I, I there have been there were times during practice last year in the, in the summertime where a certain person I've talked to told me that Bowles would be doing like a drill, working with the other offensive tackles, and he would mess up or he would lose his one-on-one or something like this would happen that was well, that was negative, and his coach would get in his ear, Kugler, Strausser, and Bowles would just turn around and walk away from the coach. All right mm. now, that's an anecdote. It's apocryphal. Don't don't take that as as gospel necessarily. But it just gives you a little inkling. If that's the case, Zach, the implication is entitlement, right? I'm entitled. I don't have to listen to you. I'm a first-round pick, all that stuff. And if that's the case, if there's any threads of that still within Garrett Bowles, it needs to be squashed and quashed ASAP by the Hall of Fame offensive guard himself, Mike Munchak. Yeah, that won't fly with Mike Munchak, but if it continues, it just adds more credence to the fact that Bowles was a wasted first-round pick. And hey, I'm the, I'm the mind. I wanted Ryan Ramchick, Chad, so you know I'll always go down and criticize that pick. All right, we still got a lot to get to. A couple more things we want to land on before we get out of here today, but first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so there was a mock on Monday from Bleacher Report that had the Denver Broncos executing a blockbuster trade with, you guessed it, the San Francisco 49ers to move up to number two to take quarterback Drew Locke from Missouri. Now, before I serve this over to you, obviously, Zach, this is something that you and I have been spitballing on the podcast and in our written articles for many months now. In fact, it was on our minds when we were both at the Combine. You asked that question to John Lynch while he was at the podium. Are you open to trading the number two pick? And, of course, his answer to paraphrasing was, we're always open. Why? You interested? And it, was a, it was a funny moment where we all got a giggle out of it, too. But it makes sense because there are so many ties between these two front offices and these two teams. And we don't necessarily need to detail all of that. But this is a trade that would not stun me. It wouldn't shock me. But, again, it all comes down to, Zach, whether or not the Broncos, you know, you hear these reports, Elway's smitten with Drew Locke. Is that really true? Because if it's true, Elway's going to do anything he can to get Drew Locke. But if it's just one of these tropes that's popped up that's kind of been, uh, you know, beaten to death and, and taking a making a mountain out of a molehill, so to speak, I think people are going to be really disappointed by how the Broncos end up just kind of standing pat and waiting to see what happens at pick 10, letting the draft come to them. If there's any trading partner in the first round in the top 10, it's got to be John Lynch with the familiarity with John Elway and the Broncos. I, I still don't see it happening, though. I, I don't see Elway mortgaging the future or selling the farm for Drew Locke. If there was a Herbert, a Tua, a Fromm in this class, uh, sort of a, a, a traditional franchise quarterback, a no-doubt quarterback, maybe even a Baker Mayfield, I can consider him doing it. I just Moving up eight spots, giving up another first, a second, a player, whatever, I mean, you're guaranteed a 10 to land a blue chipper at a position of need, more than likely. I, I just don't see under any circumstance Elway moving up that far for a quarterback that he's not, I don't think, 100% sold on, no matter all these smoke screens and rumors coming out uh, before the draft. Now, to contrast the Drew Locke stuff from the that mock from Bleacher Report, we have this other interesting thing that popped up Monday from Peter King. Now, last week, Peter King floated the idea that Vic Fangio is frothing over the idea of drafting a stud inside linebacker. And obviously, Peter King is, as you wrote about on Monday, Zach, one of the most plugged-in NFL reporters around. And he's he's been in the biz, so to speak. His roots are deep. He's been around for 30-some-odd years. Then he goes on Monday to, as you wrote, cryptically suggest that the Broncos will select Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins with the number 10 pick. And here's what he actually said, quote, I think I won't be shocked if Denver at 10 drafts Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins, close quote. Now, that's not going too far out on a limb, Zach, because I don't think anyone would be shocked if the Broncos took Dwayne Haskins at pick 10. But it is interesting to hear him go from Vic Fangio frothing over the idea of an inside linebacker to suddenly talking about Dwayne Haskins at pick 10. And you got to wonder how much that of an impression Haskins made last week on his visit to Dove Valley wearing that John Elway jersey and how much that might have increased his stock at Broncos HQ. Just like how Vic Fangio interviewed for the head coaching job after Munchak and then kind of swayed Elway's mind at the 11th hour, it's interesting to note that Peter King keeps throwing out these things. 
Last year, he called the Broncos signing Case Keenum on, in free agency. So he has roots in the Denver front office. He has sources. His opinion, it seems like an, it's an educated guess and not fact, but it's worth filing away. Personally, I think it's more likely the Broncos draft Haskins than trade up for Locke. I just, I'd rather let the Broncos board fall to them as it were at number 10. Locke or Haskins could be there, maybe even both, rather than sell the farm and give up all those draft picks, which Elway treats like gold, for a quarterback you're not going to even play right away. Yeah, with Haskins, I mean, I wouldn't be disappointed if Haskins were the pick. I'd be happy if it's either one of the, any of the three top quarterbacks, from Kyler Murray to Drew Locke to, to Haskins. But Haskins is, he's the least interesting of those three to me in terms of a fit. He's really good inside the pocket, but you get him out on the move, and it kind of goes, his completion percentage drops into the 30s, if I'm not mistaken, outside the pocket or throwing on the run, which is not ideal for a move type of offense that the West Coast is going to be, where you're executing play action, you're bootlegging out, you're swinging outside the, the tackle box at times. So it's, it's, it's just less than ideal, whereas a guy like Drew Locke gets better almost when he's on the move. But you still got to love what Haskins can do inside the pocket. It's just a matter of fit to me. And the one thing that interests me about Haskins is his mentality. I mean, he was a guy who, I mean, as a child, called his shot that he was going to end up at Ohio State. He did that. You know, he wore number seven to impress John Elway. Like, there's some really intriguing things about him from a hubris perspective. You know what I mean? Like a guy who knows what it means to tackle a dream and put in the work and has the wherewithal, the self-confidence, the ability to actually take it from a concept to executing it in reality. And those are the type of things that Hall of Fame type quarterbacks are made from. Now, I'm not saying that's what's in store for Dwayne Haskins, but it's those type of intangible aspects with that intrigue me about Haskins, where some of his tape and some of his measurables might to be might to me be a little bit lackluster, Zach. I, I kind of close the gap a little bit with some of his intangible factors. I mean, yeah, he's also pretty tall. He has a big arm and he's pro ready. So those are all appealing things for Denver. And if they wanted um, him to be able to go replacing Flacco, if they didn't have a true starter cemented right now, Haskins would be the guy. He's the most pro ready of the bunch. I just don't think uh, they would put pressure on Flacco immediately right away and not have to have him look over his shoulder. Um, I don't see Haskins being the pick either. I think it's Locke or no one at 10. And ultimately, I don't see a quarterback there either way. But Peter King, this is worth stashing away. I mean, if, if the board plays out, they've done a lot of homework on these quarterbacks, and they're always keeping their options open. Yeah. And we do know that the that Elway, at least it was reported, I shouldn't say we know, it was reported that Elway was... I won't quite say impressed, but he appreciated the gesture. Instead of it wearing that jersey to his meeting with the Broncos at Dove Valley, instead of that kind of falling flat and coming off in some way as amateur or unprofessional, Elway appreciated the gesture. So we'll see where that might take Dwayne Haskins on draft day. He saw the humor in it, and he was impressed with Haskins' energy and his presence. So it definitely boded well for him. It was definitely a good interview for Haskins. But hey, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Zach and I are going to be back in the saddle, as mentioned earlier, for the War Room. We're recording that on Wednesday, and you guys will be able to listen to it Thursday, starting at midnight Thursday. In the meantime, there will be a fresh episode of Building the Broncos for you guys on Wednesday to enjoy. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter, at Huddle Up Pod. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. We're wanting to get to 200 by the draft. That's a little bit over a week from now. It's still within the realm of the possible, but 
you guys got to gotta help us and uh, help us close the distance. Give us that final push. Also, make sure you're following my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247. You can find me, at Chad and Jensen. Stay tuned. There's going to be a lot of great draft content coming at the website. Go to milehighhuddle.com to check it all out. We'll talk to you in a couple of days. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. See you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.